In this Campus Bible Study podcast, we'll be answering a question from the talk on Luke chapter 23. Hi team, this week we have a couple of questions. Michelle in business has a question about Jesus' innocence. Uh, These accounts in Luke 23 pronounce Jesus innocent in terms of human law, but not necessarily God's law. So where are we assured of the idea that Jesus was truly sinless before God? And I've got a double barrel. If Jesus was truly sinless before God, can you explain again how God's justice was displayed at the cross? Yeah, they're great questions. I think a few of you are picking up on the fact that I said that we receive injustice at the cross. It's really important to notice that God is truly just in what he does at the cross. Paul makes this very clear in Romans chapter 3 from verses 21 to 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What God does on the cross is perfect justice. Even though he passes over the sins of those who are truly guilty, those sins are punished in in the death of his son on the cross. That is how God's perfect mercy and justice come together. But in that pouring out of mercy on those who turn and put their trust in Jesus, uh, we don't receive what our sins truly deserve. Jesus took that in our place. And so that is the injustice of mercy. God gives us what we do not deserve. uh, But God has done no wrong in this. You probably noticed that in that passage, it also says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How then can Jesus be that perfect sinless sacrifice dying in our place? How can he be the substitute for us? Because after all, uh, that's what we claimed as we looked at Luke 23. It's what we know from our famous two ways to live verse in 1 Peter 3.18. It says that Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Uh, You rightly notice that Jesus is declared, well, innocent of a crime deserving death, but he's not declared to be sinless in Luke 23. Luke's point in chapter 23 is that Even though we claim to follow a man who was crucified, he is not an outlaw, he is not a rebel against the state, he is not a man who deserved that death in any way. Uh, He was innocent of that shame and that scorn that he bore on the cross. Was he sinless? Well, Luke doesn't make that claim explicitly, but he also doesn't deny that claim. Elsewhere, we do see that Jesus' sinlessness is clearly taught in the New Testament. Uh, 1 Peter 2 is a passage we can go to to see this. Uh, It talks about Jesus' unjust suffering, uh, which is very relevant as we look at Luke 23. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. 
It's clear that Jesus died in our place to bear our sin, though he had committed no sin. As Paul also writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, For our sake God made him, that's Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that doesn't actually distance us from God. It doesn't mean that Jesus is uh, somehow other or unapproachable. But it allows us to draw near to God with great confidence, as the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 4 and verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us draw near to God with great confidence through Jesus' sinless sacrifice on the cross. Olivia in Science has this great question. Jesus says to the criminal, Today you'll be with me in paradise. Um, But doesn't Jesus go to the land of the dead before he rises again? And then he ascends. So what does he mean by today? Uh, What does he mean by paradise? It is a great question. Many of you have probably said in the Apostles' Creed at some point that Jesus descended to the dead. You might have even used some of the older language of him descending into hell. It's interesting that the Nicene Creed says something similar, but just affirms that Jesus died and was buried. Now these creeds, they're they're great summaries of key Christian beliefs. They summarize some of the essential biblical teaching that Jesus did truly die. He was buried. Uh, He was dead. But where did he go when he died? It's interesting that it's not entirely clear from the scriptures that we have a great picture of him descending to the dead or to hell. We see a clear claim in Luke 23 that Jesus says to the criminal, Today you'll be with me in paradise. Uh, Some of the other uh, teaching or beliefs about what happened after Jesus died come from passages like Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 and from verse 8 talks about Jesus and saying, When Jesus ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And then from verse 9 it says, In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? When it says in Ephesians 4 verse 9 that he descended into the lower regions, the earth, uh, some interpret it to be the lower regions of the earth, thinking a, a picture of Sheol or the place of the dead. Uh, but I hope you can see that it's not entirely clear from Ephesians 4 that Jesus has gone to be in the place of the dead. He was truly dead. He did truly die. So it's probably not a bad summary. Uh, but the claim that he was somehow uh, separated from God or, or in a place of hell seems to maybe go beyond that teaching. What about the expectation of what happens to us when we die? Well, Jesus does truly offer the criminal on the cross that that very day he will be with Jesus in paradise. And he seems to be a real offer. So what is the hope that that criminal had? Well, it's interesting in Philippians chapter 1, Paul seems to share the expectation that Jesus gave to that criminal that on death there was something that was immediately going to be better, something more joyful. From Philippians 1 verse 21, Paul says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. 
but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul seems to expect that on his death he will get to be with his Lord and Saviour. That is why it is a more joyful thing even than serving him on this earth. So Paul seems to hold that death, well, it brings the Christian to a place of peace and joy with their Lord and Saviour. But our assurance as Christians doesn't come from being able to know the exact mechanics of what happens in our death or what our existence will be like as we await the resurrection of our bodies that Jesus promises us. It actually comes from the guarantee that we will be with Christ. Christ is our assurance and we will be with him. It's what we see in Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 4. Paul writes, But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The present confidence of the believer is that they are currently united with Christ. We are in Christ. We are seated in the heavenly places right now. And on death, that continues to be our confidence. We will not be separated from Christ. Uh, We will not be absent or distant from him, but we will continue in Christ, knowing that he has paid it all. As we read also in Philippians chapter 3, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And so in response to this, Paul encourages the Philippians, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Our great confidence and our great assurance in death is to stand firm in the one who conquered the grave, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And on death we will go to be with him, and that is our confidence and our joy. Thanks for downloading and listening to this podcast. Please make sure you subscribe on iTunes to automatically download our most recent podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Campus Bible Study, you can visit our website, campusbiblestudy.org.